and grinding for a limited time. They are offering 20% off bite guards and discounted therapeutic dice board injections. Click the link in our show notes to schedule your free consultation. Offer ends April 4th. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Absolutely, positively thrilled to be just here. It's a Saturday afternoon, and we are breaking down a Kentucky basketball win. Sean Smith, thank you for joining me, and ah, that's all I can say. Ah. In the history of sources say, this is our first post-game episode following a victory at the NCAA tournament. So definitely excited about this. This is something that we didn't get to experience together a year ago. There were some nerves entering that matchup last night. The relief that I saw on your face <laughs> was probably the most thrilling thing the, of the entire night because it was like a bird had been lifted off of you. And these are questions. This was a dark cloud that had been around this program for 365 days because it was exactly a year to the date of that upset loss to St. Peter's and then Kentucky's victory to Providence. But give Kentucky credit. The first one is sometimes the hardest. That's what we talked to the team about in the locker room last night and today. And they seem loose, just like we thought they were heading into that matchup, and they played loose. Sean, there is a symbolic moment. I t- touched on it the, on the rapid reaction after the game, but the live look-ins here at Greensboro Coliseum, they'd show the uh, Fairleigh Dickinson Purdue 16-1 upset as it was kind of transpiring and inching closer and closer to the final buzzer. And when it kind of became pretty apparent that the upset was actually going to happen and history was like like actually tangible and in being made in right in front of our our very faces all of the attention went on that upset and the, the crowd started chanting fdu fdu and it was like this out of body experience almost because it was like we started seeing the weight being lifted off of the team that we're watching Kentucky's shoulders as they're trying to earn its first tournament win and now being thrown on the Purdue basketball program, all the narratives, all the storylines, the talking heads, the John Calipari needs to go hit pieces, the, you know, all the big picture narratives that, that have been just constantly covered over and over again since that St. Peter's loss are now thrown onto Matt Painter and his program and all of the terrible, terrible losses that he continues to suffer and, and how another, another national player of the year losing to a 16 seed. And it, it was like all of the weight that Kentucky has had on its shoulders for the last 365 days was lifted off of its shoulders on the court and thrust onto the jumbotron <laughs> where Fairleigh Dickinson upsets Purdue. And it, it was just a really cool moment to kind of like witness that with BBN together while we got to see Kentucky pull off its win. And, and another cool thing about that is they're actually, when gameplay is going on in the arena, they're supposed to take the game they're showing off the big screen. Mm-hmm. And every time they would do that, Greensboro Coliseum would boo. <laughs> and the teams on the floor and in the huddle, you would see guys looking up. And I saw assistant coaches like telling everybody to pay attention to what was going on in the huddle. So the biggest thing is that's Purdue's burden now, and that's their demon to deal with. It's no longer Kentucky's. And I think that's the biggest story about last night is you fast forward 365 days to the date, and it's no longer Kentucky being the team and the program that's being talked about losing to a 15 or losing to a 16. You've, you've seen that in this tournament already. The upset's going all over the place. Kentucky was able to get a win in a matchup where, had they lost, given the Bryce Hopkins storyline and everything with Providence and what Kentucky had been this season, it would have been another one of those lonely nights that we experienced in, in BBN the last few years. But it was a night of celebration. You don't want to get too far ahead. It's just one win, but you got to get the first one before you can get the second one. And Kentucky's put themselves in a position to make a run at New York here with the win tomorrow. And you could, and Cal said in the, his post game press conference, well, 
if you're relieved after this, you're in the wrong business. You know, this is, this is joy. This is happiness. This is a celebration and all that. But we were there in that locker room afterward. That, that was, that was relief. There was a lot of pressure on these kids shoulders. And, and we've talked about that in the shows leading up to this, when Cal basically says that some of these regular season games don't matter. And not necessarily that, but just that the struggles that we saw throughout the year and the, and how it just didn't feel like they could put together a cohesive unit and, and all of the, uh, the big picture issues that we saw with this team. And, and every time Cal want, went to address them, he'd go, we have a lot of time, plenty of time. It's a long season, long schedule, plenty of opportunities ahead of us. And we were like, all right. I mean, it's a ballsy move to basically say all of that stuff is irrelevant. All we need to focus on is March. And it all led up to that one game, this one night, the storylines, the, the narrative, the Bryce Hopkins bowl, the how will Jacob Hoppin respond? It, it, it just felt like everything was building up for that moment and for them to not crack under that pressure. I mean, that's, that's a big thing. And you could, you could tell that the relief was there for, for the Wildcats, but it was almost like a, all right, we checked that box. The first game is always the hardest in the NCAA tournament. They, several of them actually said that, that the first game is the hardest. And now once they got that over with, now it's like, all right, now we can actually achieve our, our real big picture goals, not just let's win a freaking tournament game. Now it's like, all right, now we can actually make a run. Yeah, and, and the guys that had played in this tournament, I thought that was the biggest difference for Kentucky. You, you had Jacob Toppin, who experienced this tournament a year ago. You had Oscar Shibway who did everything he could to win that game for Kentucky a year ago. Last night, he called his offensive game trash. <laughs> he so he said it was trash, but his and rebounding. Then said, and then he said it was super trash Super today. trash today. <laughs> and then followed it, though, with uh, the rebounding performance of 25 rebounds. I mean, every time that you think Oscar Shibway can't do something to blow your mind, he goes and does something else. And every time we, we dig up stats, right? We talk about this all the time for the last two years. You're digging up this, and you're like, man, there's probably nothing else that could really surprise me that Oscar can do. Even that surprised not only me, it surprised his teammates. Jacob Toppin was like, Oscar had 25 rebounds tonight? I thought it was a typo in the box score. And uh, then I asked the guys in the locker room, and I know you were going around as well, and everyone's like, it it still amazes me the things that he does. He came away with a rebound last night, Jack, laying on the floor. And I was like, how did he come up with that one? And there's position, and you look, and there's there's other players that have position with him, and he still somehow – gets his hand on a ball before someone else does or bats it up in there and it just grabs a hold of him. It's, it's incredible at this point. Uh, shouldn't be surprised, but I'm still surprised every time he does it. But the story of the night to me, it wasn't his 25 rebounds. It was Jacob Toppin and what he did both offensively and defensively and in the leadership role that you're seeing kind of emerge here in the last few weeks. He is Kentucky's guy. For, for what he went through and the rock bottom that he hit and the adversity that he had to face and the criticism that people – I mean, he was played off the floor in that, that game at Missouri. And for him, the last several weeks of the season to play not just like pretty good basketball. I mean, he was playing elite basketball. And it's a whole different ball game when you approach the NCAA tournament. March, you know, SEC tournament too. And I, I thought he was terrific down in Nashville as well. And the, the, their one-and-done – uh, performance down there, but for him to take this matchup specifically and all that was riding on the Bryce Hopkins game. And, and, and basically every time his name was brought up, Jake was like, I got this. I, I went against him every day in practice. I know his tendencies. I know. And they, they talked about it. They said that, that they know that every time Bryce drives, he ducks his shoulder and that, that's scouting. Like he, yeah. he, they, they knew that, 
he was a charge waiting to happen on every drive. So Jacob took two of them and he, he knew all of the, the, the little tendencies and quirks and things that Bryce did well and, and used it against him and absolutely shut him down and, and made it his storyline. He said, forget the Bryce Hopkins bowl. This yep. is the Jacob Toppin bowl. This is my homecoming. This is or not homecoming. This is my Super Bowl, my breakthrough performance. I'm the face of March Madness on the AT&T commercials and all that. This is my time to shine. It's just really cool to see him embrace that. That's a good point because he's been put in the spotlight here and he stepped up and, and emerged last night. And I, I thought he played arguably one of his best games as a Kentucky Wildcat, just the overall performance. Not with you, you look at his numbers and shooting and things. I mean, it's not, he's, he's had better games in that category, but just the impact that he made in all areas of the game. And think about this. I told you this in the media room just a moment ago when we were working. When Bryce had his big game at Rupp Arena last year versus LSU, it was Jacob Toppin at every point grabbing him and hugging him. This wasn't just an yeah. emotional night for Bryce Hopkins to play against Kentucky. This was an emotional night for Jacob Toppin to play against a former teammate and a friend, but he put that to the side for 40 minutes and he executed his job at a phenomenal level. I had a seat right behind Ed Cooley in the Providence bench and Jacob Toppin was a large part of the discussion for 40 minutes and what Kentucky was doing and Toppin's shots that he hit early in the game, those tough baskets driving to his left and finishing in traffic. It's like he's finally accepted and realized that he's an, a freak athlete. And no one can defend him inside of four or five feet if he just elevates. And that's been our frustration from the beginning. It's when you're a physical freak of nature, athletically gifted as anybody in college basketball, and you settle. That's where our frustration stems from. It's like, dude, you you are a living, breathing mismatch nightmare to anybody in college basketball. Whether you want to be an above the rim, you know, lob specialist, or if you want to be a, you know, the way he's been attacking the rim and and you know being that versatile face up six ten kind of big wing style of, like we've seen him kind of become a brand new basketball player yeah. as his confidence has ramped up and, and we really saw it was about the mindset for me last night Sean that you saw the way he just took that matchup on and took it personally and came out with a killer instinct from the opening tip I mean it was basically as soon as the opening tip went he, he said all right my time to shine this is this is my time and uh Kentucky needs that. They need they need those type of guys that that are going to go get you a bucket and get get you a big defensive stop. He was terrific on the defensive end of the floor. He was. And Ed Cooley, I know I talked. I was texting you, telling you were opposite me. You were on the other side, and I was right behind Ed Cooley in the bench there. And he hit two or three tough shots there early in the game. And Cooley would turn around to his assistants and goes, "Those are tough shots. Like he's just making plays." And that was kind of just showing you what, what Jacob had become at this point. But there was a moment in, this, in that game last night, and I asked Jacob about it today, and I wanted to make sure that I was right. Chris Livingston made a defensive mistake there in the second half. It was maybe four or five minutes to go, and they're going to a media timeout, I'm pretty sure. So it might have been the under four media timeout. I don't remember. But Chris is walking to the bench, and Cal is about to lose his mind over a massive breakdown on the defensive end. And Jacob gets between them and doesn't even let Chris make it to Cal. And you see Jacob just stop him and start talking to him, and then he guides him over towards like the free throw line and then back to that part of the huddle. Cal never does get to speak to Chris, so I asked Jacob about it today, and I said, Jacob, was that a moment where you, in the Vanderbilt game a few weeks ago, let Cal get on you and it got in your head and kind of lost yourself for the remainder of the game, and Kentucky lost the game? He said, 100%, absolutely. He said, that was me realizing that you can do this a number of different ways, 
but sometimes it needs to come from his teammates and not from his head coach. And I thought that that was a point of leadership there for, for Jacob as a senior to take the freshman in under his wing and say, look, I know the mistake that he made. Let me tell him because he accepts it better from me than he does from you. And I thought that that is the definition of leadership and what Jacob Toppin has become. Player-led. Bingo. Kyle, that, that's, a, that's on his bingo card. It's on his punch card. He brings it up every single year. He says, my best teams do that. Yep. That's a player-led basketball team. And I think Cal appreciates that. His, in that moment, Cal, instead of going around Jacob and saying, no, nah, I need to get, I need to approach Chris. He messed up here. This was a defensive uh, mess up, and, and, and I, make sh- I need to make sure it gets through his head. He said, Jacob has it. And, and uh, you, you brought up another uh, instance with that as well with the officiating uh, that Jacob, was it Oscar? That Oscar was complaining about a call, yeah. and, and Jacob went up and, and said, I quit arguing with, yep. with the officials. I'll take care of the officials. It wasn't Cal jumping in. It wasn't Coach O jumping in. To, it was Jacob Toppin stepping in and going, I got this. Let me handle it. You play basketball. That's Kentucky needs that leader and, and that version of Jacob. Remember, the big storyline and talking point going into this season was that Jacob was a 12-year-old. That yep. Jacob was the most immature guy that needed to grow up, and and you know it wasn't even about work ethic, but just his maturity uh, on the basketball f- floor, off the basketball floor, that he just did not have that yet. And for him, for that to be the, the narrative going into the year versus where we are now, where he is now, the team lives and dies by Jacob Toppin. That's some real, real growth. Yeah, and he the the block that he had on Bryce last night that then led to the the, the I think it was a transition three that Kentucky got from Antonio Reeves. Right. I'm not mistaken there. Just the the plays that he made, but it's between the ears with Jacob Toppin. Mm-hmm. That's been the biggest difference. It's not the physicality. It's not the athleticism. It's not the improved jump shot. It, it's nothing other than it's between the ears. It's a mental mindset that Jacob accepted halfway through the season in the league play where he's like. It's time. It's time to emerge and become the guy that everybody's been talking about. And I told you this today. I found an, an audio clip that we pulled from this show. Crazy. We're sitting in Starkville in the hotel. Kentucky's 1-6 in the COVID year. And you and I are having to just dig and pull and find anything we could to give people hope. And it wasn't as much about that season as it was about moving forward. And I said that I called Jacob Toppin the most important piece to the Kentucky basketball program long term. And look where we are now two years later, two and a half years later, or 26 months later, and here we are in Greensboro at the NCAA tournament, and Jacob Toppin is making plays and becoming Kentucky's glue. Yeah, Jacob Jacob is this team's leader right now, and, and you love to see that, but Antonio Reeves was the story of, just from a pure numbers perspective, yeah. he leads the way with 22 points, 8 of 18 shooting, 5 of 9 from 3, but really got going uh, in the first half, 11 of 17, in a 17-point run, he had 11 uh, of those points, and it was the how effortless everything kind of came to him, and it just felt like he had no nerves whatsoever, and in that moment, coming from Illinois State, where that moment could have been way too big for him. It would have been the like the most understandable. If, the, if there was one guy on the floor that you would understand, maybe not ready for that moment, maybe he emerges in the round of 32, but somebody that needed just kind of that breakthrough opportunity slowly, I would have totally understood if it was Antonio Reeves. And for him to come out, and we talked about I asked him about it after the game, and he was like, this is another game for me. I, I am not phasing the slightest by... The lights, March Madness, Champions Classic, CBS, I don't care what the name of the event is. 
it's another basketball game. Once that ball is tipped, I'm the exact same player for better and worse. Sometimes I'm inefficient. Sometimes, you know, my shot's not falling, but you're going to get green light Antonio Reeves all the time. And, and that made me feel super, super confident that this isn't going to be a choke job. Uh, we, we don't have a single guy that's going to go get you a bucket in March because I'm confident that Antonio Reeves is going to be that guy. He might go cold, but I trust him at the end of the day when the shot, the game's on the line, end of shot clock situation, whatever, I trust Antonio Reeves to not be a victim of the moment. Yeah, and he's, he hit five threes last night. That was Kentucky's offense beyond the three-point line. They do desperately need someone else to knock a shot or two down from that area, so uh, he's not going to hit five threes a game. If he does average five made threes a game in this tournament, then I, I'm confident that Kentucky's probably going to be in Houston at the Final Four if that's the numbers that he puts up from that category. But I love what Reeves is doing. I think that game at Arkansas a few weeks ago was probably the reason you saw what happened last night and him be so comfortable in that role. But there was a stretch of play in the second half where Cason Wallace hit back-to-back shots. And like I said, I had the front row seat behind Ed Cooley. Cooley turns around to his assistants after the first made basket from Cason, and he said, that's exactly what we want. We want him taking that shot. Cason comes down again and pick and roll, hits another tough shot, and then Cooley just kind of turns and throws his hands up because you've already got Reeves doing his thing. That was the stretch of play that I actually thought won Kentucky the game, was those baskets coming from someone else other than Reeves, other than Toppin, or Oscar on the offensive glass. So I thought that those two buckets, and I asked Cason about that today, uh, you know, what did it how big were those two shots to, to kind of get you going and kind of build confidence moving throughout this tournament? He's like, oh, oh those, were, those were huge. It's, it's good to finally see the ball go in the basket because we know at one point this season when he was at 100%, he was able to get to that mid-range jumper pull up and, and do some things. And I think getting some production from him offensively is key going into tomorrow. And that's what makes this team so scary because 23 points in the second half, 7 of 28 shooting, 1 for 6 from 3, 25% shooting overall, 16 16.7% from 3. That wasn't a terrible offensive performance in the second half, uh, but you had Antonio Threves throwing his daggers. You had Jacob Toppin with an absolute killer instinct, playing like an absolute monster. Jake, uh, Oscar Sheboy dominating the glass yeah. the way he did. Everybody was contributing, and then when you had Case and Wallace as that one guy, all he did was make two clutch yep. buckets of the basket. That's it. And that was kind of the difference. That was where, as Sean said, that's where Ed Cooley looked at his staff had said, well, is what it is. If, if you got Kaysen, you know, we, we, we can handle one or two guys living up to their expectation. But if you have one extra guy or two extra guys or whatever, it is what it is. And that's, that's where this team is dangerous. They don't have to go for 85 points in a game. But if you get three, four, five different guys contributing in different ways, they're really tough to beat. Yeah, it's the overall production for this roster. If one guy's doing it, Kentucky's not going to be very good. But if it's a collective effort, and that's why I feel like this is a team that can go on a run, because if it's connected and doing this thing and everybody's doing their role and excelling at it, Oscar excelled at his role last night. His role in this program has been what for two years? It's to rebound everything. Well, he did that. Jacob was kind of the energizer piece. Antonio Reeves was the guy making shots. Kaysen was controlling the pace and, and uh, guarding the basketball defensively. I think that the collective pieces together, when they're assembled and doing their job, I think this is a team that can beat anyone in the country. You see this regional start to open up some now. Uh, now that we're two games in, two days in, and get through this first weekend, if Kentucky can get to New York, you, you see a path where Kentucky can have some success. But I thought Reeves coming off that baseline screen last night, he, he made an excellent read and buried a three there in the second half. I thought that was uh, offensive execution off the ball. You're also seeing him do it in middle ball screen and some things with the ball. So I think Kentucky's got some pieces that 
they move throughout this tournament that can do some some good things. But it's not all positives. There are some negatives and some things that Kentucky has to clean up going into this next game. I thought the thing that we talk about is that middle eight. Those closing four minutes of the first half, the opening four minutes of the second half, Kentucky did have its run to separate itself, but then it allowed Kansas State, or not Kansas State, sorry, Providence to hit back-to-back threes, and then Providence gets the ball to start the second half. Situational basketball can win you and lose you games, and Kentucky kind of dodged a bullet there by getting letting Providence to kind of get some momentum and grab a hold onto it going into the half. You have to win those situations in five more games. If you do that, you make a run. You lose that part of the game, it could spell disaster for you. So I do think Kentucky needs to improve there. Let's go to uh, comment feed and, and get some of these questions. Connor Morgan, what's the deal with Xavier Wheeler? Think he could really help us against KSU. They have that Noel, Noel kid uh, that he would be a perfect matchup for. Yeah, uh, I feel like we just needed to talk about it and address it, even if it's uh, not a whole lot of, of discussion about it. But yeah. Uh, Xavier says in the locker room that he's available, that he's going, you know, ready to give it a go and ready to give whatever he can to help this team. And um, then he wakes up the next morning, I'm told, with a, a sore ankle, tries going through shoot-around. Cal says he's 70-75%. Pretty significantly different from I'm full go, I'm yeah. ready to go, available the day before, less than 24 hours before that. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, there is no update on Xavier Wheeler. I, I asked, would we get an official status update on him? And uh, the quote I got back was uh, that we, statements are released on players that are not available. So take that for what you will. Uh, I, I, I'm very confident and I'm very glad that we got to see Kentucky win without him and, and learn how to win in a rock fight in, in that type of setting, in that type of environment. Um, with only, I mean, really five on their, their entire team. We, we got good minutes from C.J. Frederick and, and uh, Damian Collins and Lance Ware gave you some stuff. And, you know, not from a point standpoint, but they were there and they were available. But really it was the starting five that won the game for, for the Cats. It might just have to be that way the rest of the way. And I, and I do think that Damian had an impact on that game. When, when Oscar picked up that third foul there mid-second half and, and Damian was forced into that role, Damian, he gave up a lot of weight at that position, but he did make a play there where he dove in front of a defender and, and got, a, got a steal, and Kentucky went the other way, and I, I did see some fight from him, and that's what you need, right? If, you, if you're asking Damian Collins to play four or five minutes a game, those four or five minutes, he, he has to lead the charge with his effort and his intensity and fight. If he does those things, I think Kentucky can survive without Oscar for a stretch. Or if it's Lance that goes in there and, and does his job for, for a moment or two. I mean, Cal named Lance Ware a, a team captain for a reason mm-hmm. on this team. At, at some point in this tournament, if Kentucky is to march its, all the way, its way all the way to the Final Four, it's probably going to have to have Lance Ware and some other guys make a, a hero play here or there. Somebody's going to either have to make a shot, grab a rebound, knock down a couple of free throws, that's the the runs that look back at the runs Kentucky's gone on in the past. There's always that guy that steps up and emerges. Whether it was Marcus Lee, it was almost Isaac Humphreys the year that they lost to Carolina in the Elite Eight. It's like we could have been talking about that. There's always those moments, those players that will step up and make a shot, grab a rebound, kind of have their moment in postseason. Who is it on this team? Is it Damian Collins that that has that run? Is it C.J. Frederick knocking down a three pointer when Kentucky needs it most? Because he, we know that he can do that. 
And I was hoping one of those two that he released last night were, were going to fall for him because that's a, that's a guy that needs desperately needs to see it go through the basket. Yeah, that's buzzard luck, man. He just, he just can't get a shot to fall. But, um, yeah, Connor Morgan asked about the, that um, Marquise Noel matchup in particular in the way Xavier would be a nice compliment to that. Marquise, a five foot seven point guard in his own right, tough as nails, kind of has that Tyler Eulis vibe, uh, unbelievable talent, all Big 12 first team, 16.8 points, 7.8 assists, and 2.4 steals per game. Um, Big 12 all defensive team. The, the, that, if, if Xavier can't make an impact on the floor tomorrow, the best thing thing that that I guess helps this team is the fact that Xavier has been on the team and, and he's been around practice all season long and they know how to go against a, a guy that is you know kind of a guy that's going to guard you 94 feet and uh, a, a change of pace guy a guy who's going to set the tone and, and the tempo that's who Marquise Noel is and, and that's what Xavier Wheeler is for the Wildcats so that's that's my one compliment. Even if Xavier can't physically be on the floor for the Cats, I do think that his presence on the team throughout the year will help them game plan for a 5-7 truly elite point guard. I, I do agree with that. And him and Tyler Ewis collectively there, you know, in that role, whether it be Cason Wallace or whoever Kentucky's got running the backcourt, I mean, we saw early in the first half last night, John Calipari literally played everyone, but we've gone on Yenso. So, I mean, it's... <laughs> what you, was it, you, nine, nine, uh, nine I, different players played in the first eight minutes of the game? I thought we were going back to platoon for a moment when I saw four guys go to the four to hours, scores four table. I was oh. like, what is going on right now? But when you're, when you're talking about Marquise and the things that he does, I think the game plan tomorrow will be to run him off the three-point line and force mm-hmm. him into Kentucky's length. Because I do think his numbers show that he does struggle from, from two-point range. If you can funnel him downhill and into Jacob Toppin, into Damian Collins, Oscar Shibway, any length in the interior for Kentucky, then you get let Kentucky clean up the uh, the defensive glass there with Oscar Shibway, then I think Kentucky can get some transition opportunities. But keeping him in check and not allowing him to have stand still open three pointers is a big deal. Uh, Casey Wallace, I'm assuming, probably draws that matchup early. I would I would probably, say that that's yeah. probably what we'll be seeing. I think I think Kaysen said that at the podium. And, that was at least one of his matchups. That, that he's you know yeah. going all and, and the one advantage too is Kentucky has a significant advantage with size in this matchup. Across the board. Across the board, across the starting lineup. Kentucky's the bigger team. Kansas State, the shiftier team. I do want to see how Kentucky decides to defend pick and roll. We know that this is a team that does a lot of drop coverage and stuff with Oscar Sheboy. I do want to see what the game plan is because I do think K State will try to clear out that side and do some side ball screen. They want to get Oscar Sheboy involved in as much ball screen action as they can. And uh, if Kentucky can contain the dribble or run him off the three point line and force into length and then clean up the defensive glass, and they should with Oscar Sheboy and a size advantage. I'm confident. I'm more confident in this matchup than I was the Providence matchup. Just mm-hmm. given the metrics, and when you look at where Kansas State is in Kempom, these are the teams that Kentucky beat throughout the season, closing the, down the stretch. These are the Tennessees. These are the Arkansas. The, the teams that aren't really super efficient offensively, but they're in that top 20 defensive category. These are the teams that Kentucky has had success against this season, and I think they can have success tomorrow. 
another name that everybody is talking about. It, you know, there's the Bryce Hopkins Bowl in the first one. This is kind of the Keontae Johnson Bowl. Unbelievable talent, another strong physical uh, wing presence that, that Kentucky's going to have to uh, go up against. He, uh, the, obviously, the Florida transfer, going through what he went through, the medical crisis that where he just dropped on the floor for Florida a couple years back, missed all of last season, and then now hits a transfer portal, goes to Kansas State, and is emerges their by far best player. Uh, he's now averaging 17.7 points, 7.1 rebounds, 2.2 assists uh, per game. Again, all Big 12 first team uh, he, he's a star and, and yeah. I, I'm kind of excited for this matchup because we just saw Jacob Toppin just eat up that Bryce Hopkins matchup and really make it a, a make it a point of emphasis that all right I, I'm gonna go in attack mode and, and kill you I want that matchup in particular and, and it's easy to go into this matchup and have that same mindset a guy um, you know went against in, in SEC play a couple years back and uh, that's where the stars shine. This is March Madness. The, the head-to-head star battles is what we do this for, why we're all excited. And I think Jacob Toppin is ready for that moment. And um, he, he's going to be a tough cover because Keontae Johnson's a hell of a basketball player. He, he's another guy that plays a lot of minutes. How many minutes last night? 39 minutes played? 39 minutes. 39 minutes against Montana State. So you're going to see him probably go the distance along with Kentucky's guys that never come out of the game. So... Uh, fatigue and, and conditioning and things, I think that'll play a factor. Is this Jacob Toppin's matchup tomorrow night to start the game, or is mm-hmm. it, do you see Chris Livingston kind of get mixed on? Chris if, is an interesting if, one. Because if, if K-State goes to to like a four-guard look or a four-wing look, like Kentucky's going to have to shift and make some adjustments defensively. So I do think that this will be a collective effort approach from Kentucky with some Jacob Toppin uh, mixed up on him and some Chris Livingston in there as well. And, and Chris has the frame to do some things and have some success defensively there. But that's a big challenge, asking a freshman to stop him. Jacob Toppin's probably the assignment early on him, and I think that's a, probably the, the right call. Uh, but look for a uh, total team effort you know, defensively in the, in the game plan with the scout to uh, stop Keontae Johnson. Uh, and I don't know why players feel the need to do this, and it's, it's just hilarious to me that yet again uh, a player has a microphone in front of his face and he puts up bulletin board material. It makes no sense to me. Um, Naquan Tomlin says, I don't think it will be something that will be much of a challenge besides Oscar in terms of game planning and, and individual schematic reasons to be concerned about Kentucky. Yeah. Why, what are we doing here? Why even go out of your way to throw bulletin board material uh, their direction? But here we are. Um, again, Oscar is the one guy that they that they don't have a cover for. He, he's they don't have a matchup like kind of like Providence. They they don't have a matchup that that works for Oscar. So I guess it may it does make sense. But still, he, I I don't know how they're going to shut him down. But still, I I think it's stupid. I, I truly don't know what they were thinking. Yeah, you you don't want to tug and and on, on on the cape there. I mean, you know, the saying "Don't tug on Superman's cape." Well, at least they didn't mention anything about Oscar in a negative light because uh, then I think Oscar would probably come out and grab 40 rebounds. But that is saying that outside of Oscar, there's nothing there to worry about with Kentucky's basketball team. And I think that you, if you watch Kentucky down the stretch, you've seen Antonio Reeves go for 20 plus multiple times. You've seen Kaysen Wallace be the guy that he is. Look at what Jacob Toppin's done in the closing month of the season for Kentucky and, and the moments that he's had. So like Kentucky's got some guys here and Kentucky playing as the sixth seed, K-State being the three seed. What is the line at today? The as of line? right now, three. And Kentucky's favored by three. Yeah. So I, I figured, I told somebody last night when K-State opened as a one-point favorite, I said, I think that will shift 
in favor Almost of Kentucky. Almost immediately. I mean, it, it was it and, opened as a one one point favor for for Pro, or for for K State, and immediately became a, a the even. And, like and I do think this is going to be a low scoring game. I think you're going to see this thing somewhere around 61 to 56, 61 to 57 down the stretch. It's going to be another nail biter. It's going to be one where Kentucky's going to have to execute, or K State's going to have to ex- execute. But just given what Kentucky can do offensively. I think that they have a couple of things there with Oscar Sheboy on the glass. And I, I told you last night, or I've told you for weeks, the thing that I want to see from Oscar, it's not Kentucky posting Oscar. Because mm-hmm. I still think that Oscar struggles in those moments, especially if there's the double team that comes because then you're forcing Oscar to make a decision. And that's not where Oscar's at his best. Oscar's at his best when he does not have to think about it. And he goes and does what? Hits the offensive glass and the defensive glass. And last night in a four-point game, missed basket, Oscar Sheboy comes through and flushes a putback dunk. Puts Kentucky up six, under four minutes to go in the game. I thought that was the, one of the biggest plays of the game, and that's what I've been telling you. Get Antonio Reeves in some middle ball screen, get Casey Wallace in some middle ball screen, and let Oscar free run his way to the rim and do what he does best. And I think that that's uh, the thing that Kentucky can, can definitely depend on uh, tomorrow. Is we're, we know that K-State's going to spend a ton of time trying to keep Oscar off the glass. How much of that practice do you think uh, are they talking about? keeping him off the offensive glass because he's elite defensively, it. but he's elite offensively as well. Oh, yeah, it's ballsy. I, good luck. Good good, good luck to you because I, I, I would not do that. I wanted to ask you about Jerome Tang, who was hilarious in his press conference today, just, just absolute character. Uh, you could tell why his players respect him and why there's so much love in that locker room for yeah. him because he is just such a he, he's the ultimate motivator. He's the you know I like Mike Tomlin in the NFL, just a guy that it feels like everybody trusts him and and he's the ultimate connector of people and pieces. And I, I definitely think that that's who Jerome Tang is, and and I, you could clearly tell that in the press conference, uh, Big Twelve Coach of the Year, first year with the program. Uh, how, how do you, what do you think his approach to this game is from a coaching perspective? Um, getting the first big win to, to open things in the round of, uh, of 64, but this one in particular, this matchup, all eyes on him and his program. Um, this is a really, really probably the biggest coaching performance and, and opportunity of his Be- career. Beating Kentucky at any point in your career as a coach is a life changer. And I think that that's the approach that he's probably thinking. He's probably not going to talk about this publicly. He probably won't mention this. But in his mind, he's thinking, you know, if if we can beat Kentucky in the NCAA tournament and get to Madison Square Garden, what does it do for me in my career? What what does it do? And I think that that's a thing that any coach at this point. I mean, go back to 2018 in Nate Oates and Buffalo in the NCAA tournament. He beats Arizona, and then he kind of takes the shot at John Calipari it didn't turn out well for him. It didn't work out at all, but look where he's at now. That's when everybody started yeah, everybody taking notice of Nate Oates, him. and now Nate Oates is one of the most talked about coaches in this game, and look where his team's at in the NCAA tournament and what they're doing. A win for, for Tang would be huge for his career and, and moving forward and, and what he's doing with the K-State program and maybe even opportunities down the road, but this is a guy that he has success. He's been successful wherever he's been as an assistant coach and, and things, and he, he knows the game. And John Calipari's talking about playing loose and keeping his guys loose. You see the things that Tang does with his team, and you kind of see the same approach right now. You see a team that's playing confident, playing relaxed, and uh, you walk in the locker room. I know we were in there last night doing interviews, and they seem to be relaxed and having fun as well, but you see the same feeling in the Kentucky locker room. That was the vibe that I didn't get with Providence. I got the vibe with Providence that yeah. it was like, 
you know, like, okay, there, there's a lot of pressure here in this moment. I don't see two teams with pressure on them. I see two loose, relaxed teams that are going to, going to come down to execution tomorrow. If Kentucky executes, they go to MSG. If K-State executes, they go to the Big Apple. Oh, we'll see. The Cowboys says, you're getting cocky again, Jack. Remember St. <laughs> Peter's. Never again. Um, I, in no way, shape, or form am I cocky in the slightest. I, I'm just very grateful and, and relieved to, to just have this opportunity and, and to get that monkey off of the program's back and to focus on a round of 32 game and be able to, you know, and I said this last night, instead of focusing on big picture terrible scenarios and and like I, I was just having a nightmare Sean <laughs> driving down here thinking what happens if they lose what oh. am I what do I how am I going to address this how what do I even write about this like it was just like I, this physically cannot happen it they, they cannot allow this to happen and it's just such a like oh my god like I, I can't believe we're actually here we can just focus on game planning and scouting and focusing on why Keontae Johnson's a hell of a matchup for Kentucky and how Jacob Thompson's going to stop him instead of sitting here in these two chairs going well <laughs> is it over is w what's next I, I don't know how we even where where we even go from here so I, no cockiness for me I, I promise you no I, I don't have this Kentucky team winning a national championship I'm not saying that they can't because I do think that if they if all the pieces come together and they execute and they play loose and Antonio Reeves hits shots, Oscar Sheboy controls the glass, Jacob Toppin becomes that spark plug and energy guy on both ends of the floor, I think Kentucky has all the pieces to get to a Final Four. And if you get to that final weekend, you know what then? You have a chance. You get there and you have an opportunity. We know that crazy things can happen. This team has enough talent to make a run. You see this region opening up. Duke is out. Tennessee, a team that Kentucky has had a lot of success against this season. I, I do hate the factor. It's still a couple rounds away, but of having to beat a team three times. But if you're Kentucky, you have a ton of confidence in that matchup. You, you see what's ahead of you here. This is a K-State program that you've played in the NCAA tournament now three times in a decade. And the last time you played them, they kept you from kind of marching your way through a region that opened its way up. And then Loyola Chicago makes it to the Final Four. So... The, the NCAA tournament, it's, it's unpredictable. You never know what's going to happen from day to day, round to round. We're sitting here right now. Something crazy will happen from 628 until 11 o'clock tonight that mm -hmm. we'll probably be talking about on Twitter. That's March. That's March madness. That's why they call it madness. I do know. WRR says, Sean Smith sounds like he's from where I'm from. I want, I want to know where that's at because uh, let's see if, uh, if someone can guess on there where I'm from. I know some people, I like some people will chime this, in. I feel like you've talked about yeah. it on the show. I don't know. I, you, you brought up the last matchup against Kansas State in, in that tournament, 2018, and it does feel like everything is setting up for a rerun of yeah. that, where everything around you is kind of opening up. Fairleigh Dickinson, the big upset, the you know Duke going down, Tennessee opening up for a potential rematch against Tennessee again in the lead eight. That's what would have happened uh, had Kentucky moved on. Uh, there's just a lot of different uh, the, the story and the fact that it is Kansas State again. Does that concern you, or does that make you feel that that path of redemption storyline? What what's your gut feel there? I mean, it it is a chance at redemption against K State. It's a battle of the Wildcats here. That that matchup was in Atlanta. Uh, Eric Musselman was in the building that night, coaching Nevada. I'm pretty That's sure. Right. So, That's I mean, right. So it's uh, it's crazy to think how much can change in this game in in five years. Just like what I was talking about about Nate Oates a moment ago. But that night that I remember, that was my first year on the beat covering Kentucky, and the thing that I remember that just killed and crushed Kentucky that night was K-State got out to like a 13-1 to lead. Mm -hmm. And then Kentucky climbed back 
I think, took a lead maybe late in the first half, early in the second half, and then missed free throws down the stretch. So I think it is very important this time of year. You cannot get off to a slow start. You have to start fast. You don't have to start up 12. You just have to be even or a basket or two off after that first media timeout or going into the under 12 media timeout that first half. If you let a team go on a 9-1-10-0 run somewhere like that, then then you're kind of in, in trouble and you're kind of clawing your way back. I do not think that this Kentucky team is built to do that. This Kentucky team is built to play even or with an advantage and then execute down the stretch and hit free throws and, and ice games in the final four minutes. And I think Kentucky is going to play a lot of close games in this tournament. I think Saturday comes down to the final two possessions. If they get to New York and they win a game, I think it comes down to the final couple possessions. This is going to be a tournament where Kentucky's not going to blow anyone out. There's going to be no comfortable wins, and you're going to be on the edge of your seat the entire time. And tomorrow, should be you should be expecting the exact same thing. This is going to come down to the wire and who executes. And I talked to you today about some of the pressure things that Kentucky did. They, they struggled to kind of get the ball in late, but there's one thing that I like that John Calipari is doing. It's when Jacob Toppin is the trigger man throwing the ball inbounds. Because mm-hmm. with the way... Providence was trapping that first pass with Kaysen and Antonio Reeves. They were getting the ball in and then stepping Jacob in and getting the ball back to him because of his athleticism. Jacob climbing the ladder and kind of going up and getting that pass and then handling the ball. That's one of the biggest adjustments that I think we're going to see throughout this tournament is if teams pressure Kentucky, I do think even with Kaysen and Antonio, I think Jacob Toppin's going to be a, a ball handler to kind of alleviate some of that pressure. Yeah, he's been terrific in that. Um, the Cowboy, didn't Shea take the last second shot uh, instead of Kevin the last time we played K-State? He Unfortunately, did. no, I wasn't it. Quade? Well, Quade took the corner three that missed, and then K State missed a free throw, and Kentucky called timeout at the mm. center court line, and then the ball comes into Shea. I don't remember. I think the play might have been to go to Knox, but then Shea ended up kind of banking a three, uh, and it hit off the backboard, and then rolled off the front of the rim. I remember it to this day, sitting on the opposite end, and uh, Bruce Weber goes onto the lead eight, and then uh, Loyola Chicago upset K State the next round. So. If there's one thing that we've learned, this tournament can open a path and it can clear a path for you, but you have to execute and win. And, it, and I think Kentucky has an opportunity tomorrow. I'm confident that Kentucky wins this game. I'm not guaranteeing a win, but I'm confident if Kentucky does the things that, that they do. But I will say this. Someone else has to make threes tomorrow other than Antonio Reeves. Got if Kaysen Wallace can knock one or two down or C.J. Frederick knocks one or two down, it really helps what Kentucky's doing, and Kentucky has to have another. Or Jacob Toppin. Somebody else has to knock a three down other than Antonio Reeves. He's not going to hit average five made threes every tournament game. Man, if if Kaysen makes one, I, I I get it, and I expect him to make a shot in that moment. But if if CJ couldn't get that mental hurdle cleared and hit two, yeah. I, I think of the 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 overall team confidence if you're if if he's able to break through because even Cal brought him up again today and said, dude, I just, I don't know what, what to tell you. That guy's just um, in his own head right now. And physically he's banged up. It's still bothered by, by the rib issue. If he could hit, shoot, I, I take one at this point. I, I think that would be an absolute mental leap for the, the team as a whole. Cause if I, I think right now they're like, they feel like they're right on the cusp of a like overall team breakthrough. And if he's able to do that, they're like, well, if we got CJ making shots now, then, all bets are off. Nothing nothing can heal a broken or cracked rib better than a med three because there's really nothing you can do for it besides not play. And we know that CJ's dealing with some things there, but I think it's becoming more of a mental thing for CJ as well because he has no confidence that he can make a shot right now. Mm-hmm. Like when he missed the first one and he got the second one back, I knew he's he was not making the second man. one. He did not want to take it, but he took it. 
CJ Frederick, and if, if this is where I where I'm cow tomorrow, maybe when I get him in there, maybe the first thing that I do, I run, run let him up and down yeah. the floor a couple of times, and then run something to see if you can free him up. And if he knocks it down, great. If he misses it, you're trying to build some confidence there. It's not going to shatter his confidence any more than what he already has. He is playing valuable minutes. He's not showing up a ton on the stat sheet, but it's giving Kentucky options in the backcourt to give some rest to some of these other guys for a short stretch. WRR says, Dr. Sean, how to heal a broken rib. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. I'm seeing if there's – making sure there aren't any other comments or questions that – uh, we missed. I did like um, Rot Muckin Fush. Feels like we need a dump button for that. Uh, every game is tough, but winnable. Nobody in this region, cats can't beat. I, I agree, and that's what scares me. The opportunity is there for something. Like they, there is not that one team in this region that you go, well, screwed in that. I mean, Marquette's tough. Marquette is tough. Marquette. I'm still not convinced that Michigan State doesn't pull pull it out, but but still, Marquette's the one matchup I don't want for Kentucky in the in this region. It's it's not offensively and the offensive efficiency efficiency that Marquette plays with. That's the team I don't want. I want Michigan State to pull the upset and, and beat Marquette. And I know playing Tommy Izzo in March has not worked out for Kentucky over the course of history. But uh, I would I would like to see Kentucky go through K State, Michigan State. And then, honestly, like Tennessee or whoever in in the uh, Elite Eight. I I still think Florida Atlantic. I picked them to the Sweet 16 when the bracket started. That was before Purdue got upset. I wouldn't be surprised if Florida Atlantic is standing in the Elite Eight here in about a week or so. I I really think offensive numbers and defensive numbers, they're efficient. I think they're ranking the top 40 in both in Ken Palm. Uh, That's a team that will give Tennessee some trouble or Fairleigh Dickinson. I, I don't know who Tennessee will play in that Sweet 16 matchup Thursday night, but Let's just hope Kentucky is joining Tennessee in Madison Square Garden. That's a uh, if that matchup happens in the Elite Eight, that's a long haul for two teams that usually take about a two-hour trip to play, and they're going to go to Madison Square Garden and play possibly. But the SEC having some success. <sighs> Inhale, exhale. We're here. <laughs> they we won. Have, we they have, got a win. We got a win. We get another opportunity to look forward to on Sunday afternoon, 2.40, a matchup against the number three seed, Kansas State. Uh, Sean, give me, give me a, a takeaway or two, keys, keys to the game for the Cats, uh, for you to feel confident about their chances to advance to uh, the Sweet 16. I told you before we started recording, you were asking me what's the one stat that we should lean on if Kentucky wins this game tomorrow. And I'll tell you this, if Kentucky, it doesn't have to limit turnovers, it just has to limit live ball turnovers. For a team like Kansas State that I do think is going to have some struggles trying to score the basketball in this matchup, if you give them easy baskets and, and layups and opportunities, and we saw that happen last night in the game. You know, the Providence was able to get some buckets there for a stretch. Vandy had the same thing happen in Nashville against Kentucky. If Kentucky turns the ball over near the timeline and it leads to transition points and easy buckets and those numbers start to add up, then I think Kentucky puts itself in danger of losing this game. If Kentucky can limit live ball turnovers, I think Kentucky emerges victorious tomorrow and finds its way New- finds its way to New York. Oh, I'd love a trip to the Big Apple. Let's uh, let's do it, man. We're 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 here. I, I, there was a really cool story with uh, Oscar Shebway to close out the, the game last night that uh, kind of like eased my nerves a little bit. Where they asked, you know, what was the mindset going into this trip, and, and what was Cal's message? I know uh, he's been all about being loose and it, it, the, the trickle down effect. If he's tight, the rest of the team is tight. If he's loose, the rest of the team is loose. And um, they asked Oscar how Cal was responding to you in, in particular, and he said, 
yeah, Cal pulled me to the side before the, the flight down, down here, and he kissed me on the head. And I looked at Coach, and I was like, why are you kissing me, Coach? And I was like, it was like the most, the, the, the sweetest interaction ever. But, but he said, you know, Cal, he said Cal looked at him and said, let's go down there and take care of business. Like, we, we have a job to take care of, and let's do it. Like, they have the talent. They have the pieces. They have the veteran leadership. They have the experience. There's no reason that this team like we said from the very beginning, isn't capable of making a run. So just, I mean, let's string together some wins. We've, we've in this position, we've strung together four wins, yep. uh, whatever it takes to get to the, get to the final four or whatever. Like, let's just do it. We got the pieces. Let's, let's make this happen. And, and that was a, a kind of a big picture sigh of relief for me where I was like, I, I really do think that this team is in the headspace that it needs to be. I do too. And the, the other factor that I think is going to come into play tomorrow is this building is going to be painted blue and white. I know a lot of people that are making the trip down that, that got tickets either this morning or, or late last night just coming down for the one game. I think there's going to be a significant larger crowd for Kentucky than there is Kansas State. And Antonio Reeves, I asked him today, I said, you've hit big shots all season, but you hit two back-to-back -back threes. And I know that that had to feel better at this point in the season than it did in the regular season. He said, absolutely. And then I asked him, I said, did it sound like Rupp Arena? He said, it did. He said, it still shocks me when I walk in a building and, and Kentucky fans still show up the way that they do. So seeing that and, and these guys and, and feeding off that energy, Kentucky fans need to pack Greensboro Coliseum tomorrow. And if they do and, and Kentucky executes, I think uh, you'll be making some uh, travel plans to head to New York here in a couple of days as well. Let's make it happen, Sean. Uh, one last message from uh, our new partners with My Perfect Franchise. Uh, today we are continuing our partnership with MyPerfectFranchise.net and Andy Ludicky, a franchise consulting company that helps others find franchises that will fit their needs, skill sets, investment requirements, and time commitment constraints. Andy is a big college sports fan, husband, and father of three children. You might have seen Andy's name on KSR before as he sponsors some of our recruiting coverage. He's super nice, great to chat with, and we are very excited to continue our partnership. Andy's an experienced entrepreneur, and he's been helping others go through the same process that changed his life 10 plus years ago. If you are wanting to uh, find a way out of corporate America or a way to diversify, please reach out to Andy. He's got a ton of knowledge in this world, and best of all, his services are 100% free to you. Always nothing ventured, nothing gained. You can learn more and contact Andy, Andy anytime at www.myperfectfranchise.net. Sean, let's get out of here. Where can fan, fan find, fans find your work? You can find my work at gobigbluecountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at gbbcountry. Find me on Twitter as well, at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Reach out to me via email, jpilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. With that, we'll be back, hopefully, after a big win uh, over K-State. We will see you then.